First, you must realize that you have no idea before you can know the idea. We scan across all the frequencies if we want to learn anything new. Let us begin. What has physics done for me lately? Furthermore, the equation E is equal we have now acquired a fateful power to alter and to destroy nature. That's like when you're in physics and you get a dream about saying, oh, this is a physics excursion. What is it all about? The whole of human history all falls in the dust of one stroke of the nail file. You can't really get to grips with evolution unless you realize uh, what an enormous amount of time. Our own planet is only a tiny part of the vast cosmic tapestry, a starry fabric of worlds yet untold. You're tuned into what can only be described as the best radio station on this blue dot we call Earth. It is, of course, for Triple Z. Be it on your conventional wireless radio by tuning into the classic frequency of 102.1 FM. Digital devices such as DAB or Smart Speaker listening via the Community Radio Plus app or streaming us live from our sensational website at 4zzz.org.au. And of course, you can always listen back to us or any 4ZZZ show for that matter using the ingenious on-demand feature also found at that URL. We also now have a weekly podcast of the show for your listening pleasure, a condensed version of the show without the music, which my mum prefers, just search for our show name, which is, of course, No Idea, spelt with a K, your weekly dose of science. And joining me today to speak all things science are some of my favourite science communicators. May I please welcome to the show, via the internet, vibrant, no, not (laughs) prolific Peter. (laughs) 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 You were going to introduce me. Me who's in VNR. And Gregarious Gabe, good morning. (laughs) And the mnemonic Max. Uh, (laughs) Good morning. (laughs) Poor V. I I got all your names listed here and I just said, oh, hey. uh, Oh, so you remember them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just in case. Little pictures. (laughs) 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 Little ID. You're wearing the same shirt today. (laughs) Hey, Max, I have a question for you to start the show. (laughs) Nothing controversial there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Max, uh, I had a quick gander at what you're talking about for weird science, mm. and I thought I'd give you a test based on what you prepared That's for the good. class. That's That's very smart. Do you reckon you can identify the emotion in these chickens? Yeah. <laughs> what do you reckon? Well, apparently 69% of people should be able to recognize that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So you in the thirty-one or the sixty-nine? Yeah, I'm in the thirty-one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think they're happy. Are they they're happy? Sort of pecking around, having. A, I don't think they feel anything much, to be honest. Okay. Well, I think they're just like vibing. Max is going to get into the the science behind the it gritty. after the next three. I'll give it to you one more time. You ready? What's the emotion in those uh, chooks? <laughs> Later on the show, Peter, you've got stuff on why seals are picky eaters. Yes. I'm going to get into that. The, the news you may have seen around uh, the claims of hundreds of thousands of pieces of plastic existing in the water we drink out of plastic bottles. Um, but weird science comes up first. Me to kick us off, or yeah, you better, Max. Talk chicken to me. (laughs) It's from the (laughs) University of Queensland QS ranking. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, they're 40 oh. something. Yeah. Your favorite film. 43. You too, Al- 43. Oh, Alma Mater. Yeah. Al- 43. Mm-hmm. There you go. Instead yeah. of 50. Anyway. Oh, fi- that's better. They found that humans can tell if chickens are excited or displeased simply by the sound of their clucks. The mm-hmm. research has been published emotions. in the Royal Society of Open Source, uh, Open Science, Open Source. Jeez, I sound like a programmer now. Professor Yog Henning from UQ School of Veterinary Science and researchers investigated whether humans could correctly identify the context of clucking sounds made by domestic chickens. Professor Henning discusses the research. In this study, we used recordings of chickens vocalising in all different scenarios from a previous experiment. Two calls were produced in anticipation of a reward, which we called the food call or the fast cluck. Two other call types were produced in non-reward contexts, such as food being withheld, which we called <laughs> wine or gake. So yes, they tried to piss wow. off piss off some chickens <laughs> by going to feed them and then withheld, withholding the food. That's it. The researchers played the audio files back to test whether humans could tell in which context the chicken sounds were made and whether various demographics and levels of experience with chickens affected their cor- correct identification. I just I would assume that level of experience is a key factor. Mm. If you've spent your entire life around chickens so, withholding you? food, you should know what they sound mm. like when you withhold food. Especially if you farm the things, you think you have a good idea. I'd hope so. But much to Henning's team's surprise, they found sixty nine percent. Sixty nine. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> of all participants could correctly tell if a chicken sounded excited or displeased. Deep no idea lore. <laughs> Deep lore. <laughs> a remarkable result which further strengthens evidence that humans have the ability to perceive the emotional context of vocalisations made by different species. Mm-hmm. And builds on some other work, I think, of, that they tested some other lizards and mammals and things in, from, from uh, with people across different lizards. countries. Yeah. People think, can understand. Lizards. I think lizards. There, lizards. Was some sort of, there was some sort of reptile they tested. What emotion? Like, what sound are they making? I don't know if it was all sound based, but they, oh, okay. they, it's emotional context from from main. Yeah, no, I think it was vocalizations. So, yeah, yeah we'll, uh, maybe we'll look into that for next week. <laughs> what, <laughs> nothing. It sounds like the sweet <laughs> silence of lizards' <laughs> disappointment. <laughs> I just skimmed over that and I really shouldn't have. Professor uh, Henning <laughs> said the ability to detect emotional information from vocalisation could improve the welfare of farm chickens. So to mm-hmm. this end, they want to train some AI up and uh-huh. then have microphones in the chicken pens to check their emotional status of the chickens as they're laying or whatever and as they're growing. And would you think at the end of the day we could have new packaging on your eggs or on your whole chickens when you buy them with a AI branding with AI approved? This egg was produced by Sad. Chicken is made from seventy-eight Australian products and was sixty-eight percent happy during during the production. The idea is cool. I don't know. It's one of these dystopian things, but could actually provide benefit where you you lay microphones out throughout these pretty. Uh, high intensity chicken like a baby monitor and, and like a baby monitor you have AI reading the calls and it can identify when there's stress across mm. the whole group or in sp- specific areas and you could follow up with people can going baby in. monitors do mm. that? well you can off, just listen off. I know but this so this is my point right with chickens this research is showing that you could just listen and 69 69% of people <laughs> would be able to figure out whether they're happy or sad so mm. to me that lends itself not so much to AI but to 
maybe people should just be paying attention yeah. more. AI is just but, cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> but then also I was thinking like, well, we know this with babies. Like yeah. we just know it. So why don't, if we're going to do AI for chickens, why don't do AI for babies? So it only bothers you if your baby's like actually upset. You heard it here first. The, um, Remember that story that crocodiles can also tell human baby cries? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. Should I play you the sound that I played at the start, Max? Please, sir. To, yeah. to, to quiz yeah. you again? Yeah. So, the emotion there And we had... Was the, we had oh, sorry. Before oh, you yeah, no, go on. DJ yeah. Oz, he texted in and he said, the audio grab of the chicken sounds like an announcer's meeting, which I, I, I concur with. And B texted in and said, hungry or thirsty baby chicks. Those but were. they could be hungry whether or whether or not their food is being withheld. That's true. They if could you're be about hungry. to get food. So I think B's correct either way mm. because they're hungry if their food is being withheld <laughs> and they're hungry if they're about to get food. But those were chickens being fed. Really? They were, the, they were hungry. What they correct. reckon were, were what we'd call happy chickens. Uh, do you want to hear sad chickens with their food being withheld? Yes, please. Yeah. Yeah, no, those are very obviously sad chickens. <laughs> That's a pissed off chicken, isn't it? That is it? a really pissed off chicken. That's a chicken I'd run away from. <laughs> Be very afraid. <laughs> they also coincidentally sound kind of like pissed off babies. Oh, there you go. Mm. Take well, that, AI. Those right. clips come from what? Well, the credit I got for these were Poultry Extension Collaborative. You can apparently <laughs> oh, find up on YouTube. Because hmm. uh, the, the, the recordings they found came from a different study. Yes, and they a previous study, yeah. 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 yeah, They had eight of them. And we, okay. There's two there for you. Sad chickens and happy chickens. Thanks for that. Well done. Mm-hmm. 04206. <laughs> wait, 04206. Zero, zero, That's it. 04206267233 <laughs> is our text line if you want to. Get in touch over this next few minutes yeah, because yeah. I think pretty much everyone has an opinion on this. Uh, the number's on the website as well if you want to find it. Uh, you tune into to 4ZZZ and this show is a no idea with me, Max, Peter and Gabe. And we had some more texts in about the chicken study. B commented and said, my chickens say thank you for their food. Great study. Thanks. And of course, DJ Oz, another text in. He said, upset chook sound is from an announcer meeting when the beer gets cut off. <laughs> 0420626733 text line if you want to chat with us or request a song. Bit of weird science again, Max. Let's do it. Part two. We got for Skype. Oh, I'm going. All righty. Hang on. <laughs> he was not ready. Okay. He's not ready what at all. What do you got for us, I was sitting here ready. Thank you, Max. I was ready. So I want to ask you guys a question. Yeah, screw you, Gabe. <laughs> if you're not ready, you don't get to talk. <laughs> look That's on how this Gabe's face. It's brilliant. Yeah. Deserved, though. Maybe so, you got? Well, your ponytail's you, too tight. That's your problem, Gabe. <laughs> exactly. It, Max. <laughs> and now you can all picture Gabe a little bit better. <laughs> A white man with a ponytail. <laughs> Who would have guessed anything else? That's right. So, this should be a question that's not going to stress you out, Gabe. And for you, Max, as well, yes. I want you both to tell me how far apart is your birthday from your mum's? Oh, really? Okay, one month. Yep, same. Mm. One month? Is it the same month? No. No. Okay. But very close. But it's mm. pretty close and it's like sort of within the 30-day mark. Yeah. Yeah. So, this is actually statistically likely and some researchers have gone in to try and Look at it because they were, they noticed that a lot of kids were in the same month as their mum. Now, in the research, I want to be specific because this was something I was wondering. Mm. It is 
the month, like the name. So if she's born in February, you're born in February sort of thing. Hmm. And it, they found out that if your mum is born in February, there is a 4.4% increase in your likelihood to also be born in February. Okay. So I think it's interesting because I, I personally feel hmm. that you would see even an even greater result if you went to the month length rather than month names. Hmm. So those are just sort of arbitrary. Like we draw month lines wherever we feel like it. They're hmm. not really a – you can't – that is a scientific thing. However, they did see that there is that increase, 4.6%. Sorry, 4.6, not 4.4. Mm-hmm. But they also found the biggest the biggest indicator of what month you would be born is actually when your sibling is born. When was your – how close are you to your siblings? Um, well, I'm April like, and my sister's opposite. in June and then August, my brother. So, Oh, you're close. Mm. You're I'm like five and six months away. Yeah, I'm like a month away from my brother. Okay. Yeah. I'm quite far away from my parents but my brother I'm quite close to. Mate, no, sorry, mate. My sister's in May. Jeez, she's going to hate me now. Okay. Oh, for goodness sake. You said they're live on the radio. <laughs> if Max's sister is listening Not only did you share the birth month on air, you got it wrong. You got it really wrong. You could have just said a date. It. You just said weeks. I think you're my I best so, friend. You should have just left it. No one else is going to notice. I don't know your sister's birthday. Now we all know that you don't either. Wow, Max. Sorry. All right, on record. Max doesn't know. But you should know because there is a 12.1% more chance that you will be born in the same month as your sibling. Mm. That is crazy. That's huge. Mm. And so this, by the way, is very reputable research. This was done on more than 10 million births. So a huge sample size. This is definitely good good science. And you might be wondering, like, why? <laughs> why would this happen? That's really weird that, like, everyone's got clothes. Things. And this is the thing a lot. Like, some of my coworkers, their children were born, like, days after or before their own birthday. Mm. The statistics will be online somewhere so you can see them. If I, If you've just missed and I'm just talking about random months of the year, they don't really know exactly why it's happening. They think it might be because of just... If you're born in a certain month, you might be attracted to a partner who's also born in a certain month and you kind of maybe have inbuilt things that cause you to want to breed at a certain time. Because mm. humans don't have like a breeding season like some animals have where it's like distinct periods of time where there are babies. We have the whole year round sort of thing. Mm. But there are definitely peaks and troughs in timing and they think that some of those might be ingrained and therefore when you meet partners with similar birthdays, like Gabe's parents have quite similar birthdays, mm-hmm. They will produce young in a similar time frame. There you go. Yeah. So really odd, not really good, clear examples of how this happens, but very, very clearly it does happen. Right. Mm. What do you got for roll the spot, Max, and I'll fix up the tech. Okay. Riz <laughs> means like charisma, by the way, Max. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> from the university, <laughs> from the University of Sussex, Sussex, of Sussex, Sussex. Curious ranking. Curious ranking. Sixty-nine. You're tuned into Four Z, and the show is No Idea with me, Max, Peter, and Gabe. And may we welcome into the studio. Good morning, Izzy. Good morning. You made it. I did. Uh, oh, you, you, Not totally late. You, earlier than my prediction. I, I was punching, what, 10, <laughs> 10, 10 40, yeah, and you're yeah. seven minutes early. So, new yeah. year, new me, oh, Max. Wow. Uh, <laughs> <Congrats>. <laughs> did well. Let's do this. Part three. Weird science taking over the bloody show, man. <laughs> <laughs> weird this week. And I've got weird science about weird 
countries this morning. Have you mm. heard about these Belgium. weird countries? A new paper <laughs> out of the USA. <laughs> <laughs> new paper. Uh, I'm just going to keep going before you get us in any more trouble. A new paper out of the USA's University of Chicago QS ranking. Chicago. Uh, 82. I'll go. I'll go. Peter's favorite number. 88. 11. Or if you divide mine by eight, either. Give okay. it some cred. Yeah. They've found people living in weird countries are more motivated by money than people living in non-weird countries. How does someone from America design a weird country? What's and their the brain yeah. reason? Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, weird is an acronym. Oh, for God's sake. Western educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. Basically, the first world Western countries are what these researchers are calling weird countries. Mm. Boo. They just wanted the title. They do. And it worked. <laughs> Boo. Boo. Re- <laughs> to be fair, I think Belgium would qualify. I'm putting it in the <laughs> 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 Because it, they say basically there's, there's a big psycho- like a psychological research blind spot in the world of... So often psych studies are done in Western developed democratic countries, often just on sort of certain demographics within college campuses and things. But, you know, once once you look out of that Western world bubble, we don't really know if a lot of our psychological findings apply beyond into into other cultures. Mm. Uh, and so what they were trying to do is is test that. And so they took uh, two what they call weird countries, the US and the UK, uh, and four non-weird countries, China, India, Mexico, and South Africa, and they gave them monetary incentives versus psychological motivators or a mix of the two to see how it changed their performance in a test they were doing. They had 8,000 people or so in this study. And what they did, they put them in front of a very mundane online task where they just had to press the, for the one of the studies they did, they just had to press the A and the B buttons on their keyboard as many times as possible for 10 minutes. So they just Come had on. to spam A and B on their keyboard as much as they could for mm. 10 minutes. Mm. And then they tested a couple different scenarios. They went, so, okay, well, if you do this, we'll give you this set amount of money for doing it, which I think was like a, a dollar or something. Mm. It was like, it was not much at all. Mm. Um, or they gave them the base salary plus some, some sort of psychological intervention they call it i would call it manipulation i'll tell you what what they sort of did uh or they just use the psych thing or they use a base salary plus like an incentive of one cent if they hit certain numbers of a's and b's kpis over the 10 minute period exactly kpis right uh and so (laughs) yeah weird and what they found was that the monetary awards just the the full-on salary and as well as the the kpis Mm. were what got the best results in people in the weird countries the western educated Mm. industrialized democratic countries yeah democratic rich countries and the the (laughs) psychological interventions (laughs) were what worked in nearly we got there the psychological interventions what worked in the non-weird countries and the psychological interventions they, they gave an example of saying like in one of the experiments, over half of American participants abandoned their tasks as soon as they could without the risk of <laughs> sacrificing payment. So as soon as they hit the minimum threshold to ride, yeah. they stopped. Yeah. Whereas in Mexico, over 90% of participants continued even when they knew that extra effort would not result in more pay. Oh. And they used, by, by using lines, psychological interventions, they call them, of like telling them that, that people who work hard 
would do this or telling them like, oh, this many people got like mm. 2,000 A's and B's and they, when they did it for yeah, 10 try minutes. try and like, beat that. Yeah, Try okay. and beat that, yeah. yeah. So they're just trying to make them into gamers. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so you, you incentivize it through psychological stuff by saying like, oh, you know, you got to be hardworking. You know, mm. make sure you like, you know, really put your effort into this or just tell them what other people are doing and you just use these psychological motivations and they found that that worked better in the non-weird countries mm -hmm. whereas the monetary incentive oh, was what no, worked in the, the weird countries. the manipulation would work way better on me. I'd cry if I found out that I <laughs> was not, I didn't have any chance of being the best. Yeah. I, I'd, like I'd still do it but I'd cry. <laughs> and the... <laughs> <laughs> the reasons, I mean, the reason behind it, they, they didn't really speculate much about because they didn't really know. There's a huge cultural things going on underpinning like why we mm. would fall for psychological stuff versus uh, monetary rewards. Mm. But they did attribute at least some of the blame to the English language. Um, in one of the experiments, the authors randomly assigned people in India to take the test in either Hindi or English to see if that affected their motivation outputs and the authors found that the participants were 52 percent more motivated by money than by psychological treatment when the instructions were in english mm. down to 27 percent, so about half of that when the instructions were in hindi so just like changing it for the same indian participants into yeah. an english instruction mm. the, cu survey, the cultural aspects of, of your change the results yeah, totally. so they're, they're basically saying like there's so much at play here. Yeah. We can't nail it down to one yeah, thing sure. or another. Mm. Language is clearly probably linked into it, at least for the, the English versus Hindi split. Mm. Um, but beyond that, they don't know. And it was also a very limited study. It had lots of participants, mm. a bunch of different countries involved, but it was just an online test of how many times can you press A and B and a couple similar tests like that. So it's not like, it's not crazy. We'll wait for the replication on this one. But their, their overall thing was that people in weird countries like the US and the UK we seem to be more motivated by We have to stop money. validating them for that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I refuse. I refuse to let them win this. It's so it makes my blood boil that people are making stupid acronyms and putting them in their press titles. And we, the press, albeit very small, are falling for it. We That's my weird science up. for the week, Max. Uh, well, we got Peter amped up, so we're almost going to do some uh, marine science. We'll play a bit of a CSA and we'll come back and let Peter do the rest. The Animal Poisons Helpline strives to reduce the harms associated with poisoning in animals. Young animals are at a particularly high risk of poisoning, with nearly half of the calls made to the helpline regarding pets aged under one year. If your pet has ingested something they shouldn't have, please call 1300 Tox Pet. That is 1300 869 738 for rapid, up to date advice. For poisoning prevention tips, follow the Helpline's Facebook page at Animal Poisons Helpline. 4ZZZ cares about our communities. That's right, you tune into 4ZZZ. This show is No Idea, your weekly dose of science with me, Max, Izzy, Gabe and our friendly neighbourhood marine scientist who just happens to have a master's degree. Peter, what do you got for us? Alright, so today we're talking food and I want to know, do you guys have any foods? Like, would you A, consider yourself a picky eater and B, if so, like, what are your, what are your nose? 
Um, well, I have celiac disease, so yeah. that cuts a large portion. Oh, of yeah. No, it's slightly different. Yeah, no, slightly different, that's but more yeah. a preference. I would say. <laughs> Which had to change. I had to change my baking style towards oh, you, thanks, easy, didn't Max. I? So gluten-free Aww. cooking. Yeah. Mm. So it I learned a few really new family. recipes. So, so that's yeah. good. <laughs> but like, you can't really be picky. I guess. Hmm. I was never really a picky eater prior to restricting my. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't a picky eater, and then I realized I was dying. So I had to stop that. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Uh, well, you get. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I've got lactose intolerance, so <laughs> well, you don't really abide by that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, I feel <laughs> like most people it. with lactose intolerance don't abide by either. It's hard and fast. Yeah, you don't quite mm-hmm. die, so that's fine. <laughs> um, capsicum, I don't like. Maybe really in big quantities. But there's so the too much vitamin you C. Don't now, don't like capsicum is because I am a picky eater. I have. I, I think I'm a relatively picky eater. Mm. One of them being capsicum. And when I don't eat my capsicum, I give it all to Gabe. And so Gabe eats oh, yeah, a see, lot of like capsicum now. Like, this is picky eating or just oversaturation. Mm. Yeah, see, I am legitimately a picky eater. This means, like, when I was a kid, I I was more of a picky eater. But there's things that I just have never liked and can't really force myself to like or eat. And I always thought, like, I didn't give it much thought, but I kind of always thought that this was a human thing. Like uh, that no, if no, no, I no. had to hunt no, in the Are you wild. validating your picky eating with some marine creature? Yeah, an octopus. Kinda. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kinda doing that. I'm kinda doing that. I was really excited because I felt like I might I've always told myself like if I had to hunt for my food, I probably wouldn't be as picky. Like mm. I'd probably be like, hmm, I don't feel like starving today, so I'm just mm. gonna eat whatever. You know, like mm. if I was on a desert island or if I was bare grills, like, yeah, I'd probably be as less picky. But and so I just I guess I assumed that animals living in the wild just wouldn't turn up their noses at good sustenance. Like if you were just vibing out in the wild and you had to fend for yourself all the time, you just would eat whatever came in front of you that is edible. Hmm. Turned out, no. <laughs> Some, I I just, I just didn't think they'd restrict themselves from available foods. But recently published research on elephant seals in Antarctica has proven that the seals are actually. Ex- extremely picky eaters mm. like really really picky which is interesting because they live in antarctica where contrary to what like a lot of people may think there's actually loads and loads and loads of food available if you're a marine creature like it, it's a great place to live if you like fish and you have a lot of blubber and c- yeah it could deal with the cold if you can mm. deal with the cold mm. you would move to antarctica because mm. it has loads of food and loads of different types of food but it was sort of interesting because these males were sort of commonly known to have picky habits or like people had seen them eating only a few things and so they were like hmm, that's interesting and so some researchers from UNSW QS ranking 50 something or are they the ones that are the same as UQ 43 they're the same as UQ but when I looked it up it was 19 oh. yeah yeah Ooh. so hey. not UQ you, uh, you said which Gabe got confused because uh, I've been uh, yeah. Yes. but yeah UNSW you said both QS 19 apparently so gotcha. whoop, whoop. Okay. Uh, but they, these researchers went in and to analyse the dudes' diets because especially the males are known for being picky or sort of have been seen to be picky. But this sort of research really isn't easy. Not only are they like really hard to get close to at the best of times with their, quote, powerful stature and aggressive temperament, they're also at sea for months at a time foraging. Like they just go out, eat, 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 eat and then they come to land and fast for like two to three months during the breeding season. So by the time they get to land where you could theoretically check their stomachs, most of the food they've eaten has, well, passed. Yeah, been digested. (laughs) So the researchers had to find a different way. And they were actually (laughs) able to infer the eating habits of 31 male southern elephant seals 
using just their whiskers because even just a small sample of the whiskers holds up to a year's worth of stable isotopes from their past food. What? Whoa. Yeah, like that's incredible, right? So mm. it, it's a solid part of their body. If you could take a sample, it wasn't clear from what I read whether it was food that had gotten stuck onto the whiskers and therefore like become part of it or whether it was because of the growth of the whiskers as they mm. were eating, which is probably more likely because that's usually where isotopes go. But they do know that it's, usually about a year's worth of food that you can infer from these whiskers. So and how did they do the shaving? How does that, how is that performed? It's only a sample. So I think they just take a clipping and my assumption and would run. be that they, <laughs> yeah, they are have to get there and run really fast because they are very, very fast, even on land, or I assume they sedate them. Uh, right, okay. Mm. I, I would mm. usually sedate animals for things where you're going to be like, traumatizing them a little bit yeah. if i was an elephant seal sitting on some ice and mm. some random like ape came up to me and took From a, a section of my whiskers, i'd be traumatized and like, what is happening <laughs> at least they're not like pumping your stomach uh, but still mm. Mm. so what they found was that each of these seals individually largely find a favorite food and just completely stick to it like nearly all of the individuals were eating the same food items time over time with very little variation like the foods they found them eating only counted for less than 20% of the population's range of food types. Mm, so variety, yeah. Okay. That's like the 31 versus however many elephant seals are on the ice there. But still, that's very, very small. And that 20 it's not like each seal was eating 20% of what they could be eating. They actually, they're like known as specialists or the researchers call many of them extreme specialists, which means it's really only one or two-ish food types that they're eating. So mm. if... I'm an fish or fish. And I'm really mm. into one fish. Like, I don't know, I guess they don't have snapper, but I'm just using snapper because people can imagine it. But if I really liked that, I would just be eating that. And, but so we know that it isn't a necessity though. Like, it's not like they're doing this because that seal needs that food to survive. One of the seals they looked at was actually a generalist. It kind of just ate anything, which mm. is really interesting. So it's clearly like a not necessary behavior. It's just something that they choose to do. Hmm. And so then they're kind of going like, why Why would you choose to only eat one or two things on repeat when you're in Antarctica, the ocean's like smorgasbord? Why would you do that? Especially when you're facing several months fasting on land, losing up to 50% of your body weight. If I was an elephant seal, I feel like I would just be eating anything that swims past that's rather fatty. Hmm. Like if I saw someone just chomp, 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 rather than hunting down exactly A seafood buffet, if you will. Mm. Yes, mm. precisely. You would mm. be going after the seafood first, as you should in a buffet, I've been told. <laughs> um, but the researchers, so they're kind of like, I wonder why they would do this. And they think, they don't know, but they think it could be for a few reasons. Mm. Even just a simple one, which is like, what fits best in each of the seal's mouths? Because mm -hmm. they do have different shapes. And they were like, well, maybe this one just fits this fish better. So he just eats this. But it also could be like seasonal or yearly food availability, where they mm. think that by different individuals hunting specific prey, they can improve their own hunting success for that prey and sort of like spread the load around, I guess. But no one really knows right now. The researchers do seem very keen to find out. So if anyone wants to help that UNSW team get back down to Antarctica <laughs> to follow the seals around while they're hunting. looking for, for barbers. To find it out. Um, yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> 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 yes, exactly. Uh, so yeah, I thought that was really interesting because I had really never thought about I, I knew animals had preferred foods like I, I know a lot of animals would prefer one thing to another but I never thought they'd turn their noses up at everything else <laughs> just so they can eat their favorite food over and over and over and over again 
Very good. Wow. There you go. Kind of crazy, right? Seals, picky eaters. I picky wonder if it's something eaters, to do yeah. with like if they get burnt by like a, a they try and go for a big lobster when they're young and they get nipped or yeah. something. Yeah. 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 I would assume that every they because they only have one and there's like hundreds of different food types. So by that assumption. You would assume that not only has a lobster nipped them, but so has every other fish besides the one mm, they like. That's true. So I don't think that works. Yeah. I personally, I would love it to be that they just genuinely have a favourite. And they're just like, this one tastes best to me. That's mine. Yeah. Like, I would love that to be the answer. They just kind of like it. Peter, Terry's texted in. Oh, great. And he said he's more than happy to buy us drinks, but he's not going to invite us to dinner because you're a picky oh. eater. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also really hate coriander. So I'm, really, <laughs> like, really hard to, I'm really hard to feed. I, I apologise. That's it. Oh, no, I'm going to do a max. And I'm not going to be able to say a word and it's going to sound really dumb. <laughs> you tuned into four. Tri- <laughs> <laughs> you tuned into four triple Z and the show is No Idea with me, Max, Izzy, Peter and Gabe. And I thought we'd take this opportunity just to mention about um, becoming a subscriber so we get in the newsletter again this week. What do you reckon? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good Pretty good effort, Max. We got a big, a nice little plug in the announcer's newsletter this week we for did. no idea. Off to a good start for 2024. <laughs> I might do a little stats wrap-up for yeah. how we fared in the 4ZZZ newsletters last year. Mm, uh, and then we can, we can set ourselves some, some KPIs. Our KPIs. Max, we <laughs> <are> <laughs> ourselves <laughs> the favourites. That's it. Pretty yeah. well. I reckon yeah. the home well, Max, I also over. I saw some mm. research that came out, I think, like a day or two ago that was um, about, you know, the iPad generation mm. and the criticisms oh, yeah. there. Gen Alpha? And about, I have criticisms. Yeah, it was some, some research out of Drexel University. I didn't look up the QS ranking if anyone wants to have a tra- try. <laughs> Drexel with an X. Drexel. Uh, they found that babies and toddlers exposed to television or video viewing may be more likely to exhibit atypical sensory behaviours, yeah. um, like being disengaged, disinterested in activities, seeking... Mm more intense stimulation in the environment. A lot of these things that we think of uh, as the, the negatives. Yeah, exactly right. Mm. With, the, with the iPads, putting iPads in front of kids. But Max, you know what's something that isn't going to do that to you? It's Is putting 4ZZZ radio into your ears. Yeah. Yep. There you go. How is that? It smartens you up, doesn't dumb you down. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you can go to our but, website. Go on. There you go. You do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're all volunteers on 4ZZZ. Over the airwaves, uh, we have a small little base. They're coming base. to get you, Gay. They are coming to get me. Wowzers. <laughs> 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 and I all those iPad kids. They should find. They found your lair. <laughs> <laughs> they want their iPads back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what are we doing? A sub plug. Uh, yeah, we're all volunteers. It's a couple of staff upstairs. Keep the wheels on, but everything else is just run by amazing uh, people who support Four Triple Z. Um, by and and mainly that's through subscribing, Max, which is what you can do year round and keep Four Triple Z on the airwaves. It it uh, quite literally keeps us on the air. The support we get every year. Uh, and we rely on on amazing people who step up and and fund Four Triple Z for us. Um, and you go into the running to win a whole bunch of perks as well. Like I think this this month the January prize is uh, karaoke night, right? Like yep. Lost Souls yeah, karaoke, yeah, yeah. which is karaoke from the Netherworld too. guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get that uh, uh, you know random person who subscribes during the month of January who opts in to winning the monthly prize. We'll get that. Cool. Um, so you can go to fortriplez.org.au slash support. Is that right, Max? It is. Mm-hmm. About yeah. a thousand different URLs you can go. You can go fortriplez subscribe into whatever browser you're using, and it'll probably come up there too. Yeah, Thank you to everyone who does subscribe to 4ZZZ and thank you to everyone who will subscribe to 4ZZZ because it keeps these 
wonderful shows like No Idea on air. Would you like the <laughs> yep. US ranking? I did look it up. Drexel, what is it? Drexel, it is. Does anyone want to guess? 300. I, I reckon we're in a range. We are. Five we're to in 600. a range. Hmm. We're in a range. Six it's to seven. <laughs> <laughs> Six to seven in the world. Six hundred and seven. Drexel, we've never heard of it. Uh, it is 601 to 610th. Somewhere in there. Cool. Early 600s. Good there for Drexel. And well, I just saw in, the, in our studio window, we got the thumbs up from our studio, uh, from our manager, radio manager, station manager. Yep, so it looks like we're... Secured our spot in the newsletter. <laughs> yes, For yet wonderful. another week, yeah. I mean, we do it out of the love and appreciation of our hearts we and do. definitely for no external reasons. Mm. Um, please yeah. listen to It's not for the fame or the glory. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just going to play a bit of music and then we're going to go into everyone's favourite segment, except, uh, in brackets, not Peter. Madarat. Um, mm. Okay, it's time for the best part of the show. Loosely defined as science, yeah, you already know. Everybody listens to you for Triple Z just to hear us talking about what Butters just did. Subscriptions just keep rolling like the tires on a car. But something tells me that our science careers won't go far. But unlike an engine, I won't keep you in suspension. We're all here to hear him talk, so let's give him attention. You're not ready for when he starts rapping. Gonna hand the mic to Max, and I'm not talking band stamping. It's lights out, and away we go. We got a text in from Toby. He said, I really admire Peter's passion for the F1. I wish I had oh. the same level of interest and excitement as they do. <laughs> yeah, I'm known for my love of the F1. Every year when you guys get free tickets, yeah, you yeah. ask if I want one, I'm like, nah. <laughs> Good, I'm just going to bum around Melbourne. Hard pass day. on that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't know why I'd want to be there. There's not much racing happening at the moment, but there's Dakar, which is happening mm. in Saudi Arabia. So it's Dakar Jurors. 2024. And stage four is now complete in the bike division. Australia's Toby Price, a former winner of the Dakar, riding his Red Bull KTM motorbike, is currently in 15th position. And in the car division, all the hybrid Audis are still going strong. Last year's winner, Nasser, gave the Audis just three days before they would start to break and ultimately retire. But Audi... What? Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Audi, <laughs> they're part of VW Group, has only been given funding to race for three years. So that's three Dakars. And so 2024 Dakar is make or break for the I hybrid vehicle. I love I can't it. wait. I'm I like so this excited. Passage of time just being <laughs> Dakar. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a max prediction. Mm. Okay. Um, Let's see this. I'm hoping oh, that thrilled. it will be an Audi victory this year as we send them off. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. No, 100%. There's I'm three Audis really in the running. They currently sit in fourth, fifth, and twelfth. So. <laughs> having some fun over there. <laughs> <laughs> of course I'm having fun. It's F1. It's my favourite segment. <laughs> and talking. Finishes, finishes on the 19th, I think, Max. Does right? it? Yeah, okay. So we'll know 12 then. stages. Mm. It's like so, the Tour de France of cars and bikes. Yeah, so that'd be good because we have our next show. It's like the Tour de France of bikes. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Uh, bikes yeah. with the engines on them. Yeah. Mm. Bikes. Engines instead Again, of steroids. my favourite segment. Talking about three-time Dakar champion Nasser, um, and he's just, he's just won back-to-back titles, so he won 2022 and 23, driving a Toyota Hilux. Uh, this is not your standard Hilux, by the way, kids out there. It's, it's, uh, it's a special safari I one. I knew that. I did <laughs> for the that. desert. Uh, he's chosen to drive a different car this year. He's driving a Pro Drive Hunter. And I reckon it's a pretty bold move, but this might pay off because 
currently a ProDrive hunter, is leading the Dakar after four stages, and it's been driven by a rally champion, Sebastian Loeb. And for those wondering if you want to, you know, do you, would you ever want to purchase a ProDrive hunter? Do you know this vehicle I'm talking about, Gabe? You might have to type it into the Googles and see what it looks like. There is I know, I want to. A ProDrive hunter, there is now a road-going version of it, and they're calling it the Whoa. world's first oh, all-terrain hypercar. Looks like Dude. the $20 remote control car you get. It looks BMW. like the <laughs> sickest Hot Wheels car that you get. It looks like none of those $1 ones. This is a $10 Hot Wheels car. Yeah. The metal ones. The actual, yeah, metal ones. Now, if you've got a lazy $2.2 million Australian dollars, <laughs> you can, you're allowed to have one. But I'm not sure if they're actually street legal on Australian roads, but it would be pretty awesome driving around Brizzy, wouldn't it, in one of those? <laughs> I'm not sure if they're street legal, but you can buy them. What? The Val- decoration in your garage. <laughs> <laughs> the Valtteri Bottas and Roman Grosjean report: Mr. Bottas has been competing in cycling competitions in Victoria. There was a great photo of Valtteri sculling his namesake beer VB after the race, lying alongside his naked bicycle. When asked about his chances in F1 this year, VB is hopeful that the arrival of new technical staff who can think outside of the box will lead to a change in form for his team, now known as Stake F1. And that's... What? Yeah, it's called Stake F1. Like... It used to be Alfa Romeo. No, it's Stake as in Dracula. Wooden stake. Oh, I was like S T E A. Yeah, like something yeah. you'd order from. Apparently, menu. it's a betting company, so we don't really oh, want okay. to talk them up too much. But anyway, uh, thanks. Yeah, oh. sorry about that. Well, they've bought the... enough of it that they've changed the name. Yeah, yeah. and uh, eventually in 2026. Sorry, I'm meant to be excited. Woo! In 2026, it'll be called Audi. Just so you know. Okay. Something to look Full circle. To. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Phoenix Roman Grosjean has confirmed last week that his long-awaited test drive of a Mercedes F1 car is still on. The rules for testing old F1 machinery mean the car must be at least two seasons old, so F1 2024 will mark the first opportunity to use a car designed to the current regulations. So fingers crossed it will happen soon. For those wanting to see Grosjean race, I know you do, Peter, He'll yeah, be driving. Are crossed. I'm really excited. <laughs> he'll be driving a Lamborghini Huracan at the Daytona Rolex 24 hour at the end of this month. And while we're talking about the Daytona Rolex 24 hour, the Brad Pitt movie. Now, will you go and see this? This is he's making a, a movie about F1. Peter, what? would you go and see that? No, no probably not. <laughs> Brad Pitt no, doesn't sorry, swing I mean, it for you. Of course, I will. I'll be at the premiere. <laughs> <laughs> the red carpet in Sydney. The move. The bread carpet. <laughs> <laughs> the movie is being produced by Izzy's favourite racing driver, Lewis Hamilton's Dawn Apollo Films Company. Damn. They last filmed at the Las Vegas F1. Mm. Now the film crew and actors will be racing at Daytona. But unlike the F1, where special sessions were used during the race weekend to do the filming, this filming at Daytona will be done in situ. Not sure if Brad Pitt or Dameson Idris will get behind the wheel, but it will be cool to see an Apex, because that's the name of the F1 team, uh, Apex livery on a couple of the real GT cars racing that weekend. Is that what they're going to do? They're going to put the movie livery on an actual car? That's what we're hoping anyway. 
But no one's. So we'll have to find out end of January. Surely you do that CGI CGI after. That's that's how they do car ads. Well, you just paint them blue. You reckon just solid blue. (laughs) 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 And keyed in later. Beautiful. Okay, and that's it for the matter app this week. I hope you all enjoyed that. I've got a great story to tell about Jay talking to some of the execs over at ABC where he works. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> they absolutely love the matter rap. But we should get Jay yeah. to bring up that story. It's a classic. That song should be the No Idea theme song. <laughs> the amount of patience I have to have. <laughs> um, Max, I think it should be the other way. Yeah. Actually, thank you. Okay, you tune into Four Triple Z. <laughs> the show is No Idea with me, Max, Izzy, Gabe and Peter. Izzy, what do you got for us? Well, I'm going to be talking about some new research that talks about how people choose to consume their alcohol. Um, With the new year and obviously Christmas, Mm. um, a lot of sales through the roof as normal. Um, So I wanted to extend this out to not only you guys on the deck, but also everyone on the text line. How do you prefer to drink your booze? Are you a bottle? Are you a can? Are you a... Like physical Physical receptacle. What is the chosen vessel? Oh, a nice glass. Mm. Like any sort of fun glass. Like I yeah. love a, Okay this is going to sound bougie But it's more just like It is bougie It's for mm. vibes I love like a nice Crystal cut glass I like feel I like being able and to pretend hey. That I'm important I love that That's my yeah, Or true. a foil bag A foil bag Yeah No that's, that's <laughs> fair <laughs> That's fair Because you got a pillow later I do, I'll go. talk about that one Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Something that you can hang up And drink out of Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Definitely not plastic though Like I'm, I'm about to do a story on plastic water bottles and how many yeah. microplastic and nanoplastic yeah. worrying, huh? but even just yeah. without that I don't alcohol in plastic? it's weird how you don't it doesn't feel right to drink alcohol out of plastic does anyone sell alcohol in plastic yeah, yeah, yeah. well, well like, it's funny plastic I'm, cups. I'm gonna talk about some right. ways of buying alcohol mm. so some mm-hmm. people are potentially looking oh. this is specifically for wine looking yes. stepping away from glass mm. and more towards like aluminum cans or yes. as we like our, your cast wine so mm. researchers from the university of south australia's i'm gonna butcher this ethenberg base uh bass institute for marketing science and the University of Adelaide's Business School mm. has explored people's um, wine packaging choices and how attributes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wonder who they got Adelaide's sponsored University by. Of mm. wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how attributes like price, brand, and messaging can influence people's choices. The lead researcher Jacob Mesedis stated that previous academic research looked into choices that were largely focused on, you know, the wine label and the closure type, whether it's a cork or a screw. This one is looking more at kind of what the vessel is made up of and what the kind of general branding is so the traditional wine glass is the wine industry's biggest source of carbon emissions with the creation of a single bottle creating 1.25 kilograms of carbon dioxide Mm. overall the production is not much reusing nope it's all pretty it's all like virgin glass and then they don't it was only recently actually that containers for change at least in queensland started actually taking alcohol like glass yeah Mm. um as someone who was uh, an aluminum can user mm. and definitely throughout schoolies, I actually drew a profit when we donated all of our cans. <laughs> um, oh, nice. It's, it's actually great to see. <laughs> but yeah, they're all, they're not reused at all. Overall, the production and transport of glass wine bottles make up more than two-thirds of the wine industry's total carbon output. Us Aussies are pretty well known for our main alternative wine packaging format from glass, which is our bag in a box, goon sack or cast Mm -hmm. wine, and aluminum cans as well for for wine, sorry. 
But those are not the only alternatives with new formats like flat packs, flat plastic wine bottles as well. So this will be really interesting with games. Yeah, Mm. I personally the Mm. idea of an aluminium can is (laughs) fantastic. I I feel like it's just fresh, you know, stubby of wine. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Well, uh, it's so. fresher. It's good mm. that you raised that, Peter, because we'll t- talk about like the responses as well of what they received oh, from this I'm research. Okay. Um, so the alternative formats are more than 51% more carbon efficient than glass. But Mercedes wow. says that Australian consumers are resilient, uh, resistant sorry, when it comes to these more environmentally friendly options. In a survey of 1,200 Aussies, the Institute found that cast wine and flat plastic wine bottles were more preferred formats after traditional glass bottles. Cans were the least preferred because they were closely oh. tied with specific occasions such as drinking outdoors which is like exactly <laughs> get over when it when do you drink like yes you can drink wine indoors people also drink wine outdoors also why does it matter yeah I don't Cans know what, what's the distinction aluminium I is completely yeah. recyclable like yeah. get around get it get your 10 cents worth plus Amazing. don't we all drink anyway mm. also Aussie's being resilient uh, resilient I've taken resistant. it now. Aussie's being resistant to change especially environmental Surprise. is not surprising wow. <laughs> that wouldn't happen in New Zealand would it Peter Actually, I would be interested to see whether <laughs> would, it would I'd change because we do have a good do wine some industry. Research. I'll do some yeah, research yeah. for you. Yeah, Packaging yeah, yeah. format was the biggest influence on people's choices followed by price mm-hmm. with the importance of brand and eco-messaging varying depending on the, re- the respondent's age and how eco-friendly behaviours they claim to engage in. Alternative mm-hmm. wine formats were typically bought more by younger people. Wow, surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, consumers were found to be more likely to choose between alternative wine packaging when it was priced at a mid to low price range and if it came from a well-known prestigious brand. Mr. says that larger, more prestigious brands were more likely to see more success with alternative packaged wines. Ultimately, the study provides wine marketers with a foundation for low carbon wine packaging strategies. So this was really interesting because I never really thought, I did some Googling. Mm. The plastic wine bottles do tend to sit at about your kind of under $20 range because they are much smaller, but, Mm. and it kind of is a bit swaying when they say like it has less plastic because like it's holding less. So obviously in comparison to like a whole wine bottle Mm -hmm. it's not going to be the exact same quantity but i think it was really interesting that you know we do already have kind of an ingrained like alternative to wine glasses which is your kind of goon bags or your cask wine Mm -hmm. so maybe implementing that as more of a kind of wider i guess access point for booze or moving towards yeah aluminum cans especially with like the containers for change kind of schemes i wonder Mm -hmm. how this research would go down in france that's what I was thinking. I was thinking yeah. of applying it to like other countries yeah. that are big wine drinkers. Imagine their champagne. Yeah, as soon like as you get the sommeliers out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you got your can, you got can of Maui. There you go. Enjoy. <laughs> I've been looking into New Zealand <laughs> yeah. to see whether we have anything. I haven't seen any uh, sort of like comparative studies, mm. but it does seem like Kiwi Media is really pushing the the, the can. Which I'm quite yeah. happy about. So it seems like it, it, since 2018, at least, there's been quite a few articles pushing Kiwis to pull up cans. And I reckon we should be doing the same in Australia. Mm. Get over yourselves, Australia. Get a tin of wine. I remember mm. there was a big marketing hump with the yep. flat pack plastic ones mm. because of the, like because they look smaller, but they're the same amount of quantity. It's this classic thing. Oh, like yeah. I'm, you've probably seen the videos of like showing to- like very young kids pouring a, a glass of big tall glass of water and a, a short wide glass of water and it's like the same quantity in both mm. but the kid will always pick the tall one as That's having it. more yeah. water yeah, and yeah, if you yeah. directly pour it into mm. the other glass yeah uh, and, and so the same sort of goes with flat pack wine even though you you save so much space in shipping because mm. you have the empty space between the curves uh, mm. so you theoretically the drop the carbon budget or the neck uh, you 
people are probably going to be less likely to grab it. At least get over that first hump of grabbing it a few times yeah. at the start instead of the glass curved bottle, round bottle, because it it looks smaller, different, but yeah. also smaller, even though it's the same amount it's of liquid. Perceived smaller, yeah. yeah. It's the yeah, perception perceived of it. Smaller. Yeah. So I think that was really interesting, and I do want to look more into the idea of like cans seeing being seen as like an outdoor thing because mm. I didn't mm. really I. Mm. I don't, I'm only 20, so I've only like had been consuming mm. cans. Are the only years, option. But cans were the only, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah cans true. were the only thing that you could really like. You're too young to buy bottles. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I'm, this is it's a little bit out of my age limit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really thinking about wine. <laughs> Gender alpha's new no, problem. That's right. <laughs> Can't really. It's not out of my budget. I'm afraid. Because <laughs> Terry te- Terry texted and he said cans when camping. Cans when ca- okay, yeah. I can kind of see Cans that, but at least I, yes. it'd be interesting to see like different generations mm. at least because mm. my generation mm. was very much like cont- like getting that money back, yeah, yeah. or like mm. saving space was a big thing. So that would be interesting. Hmm. I'm still looking forward yeah. to my can of Maui. That's for sure. <laughs> can't I can't reseal can the can though, can you? I guess that's going to be a drawback for some people. Mm. Oh, that's true. Yeah, but then that in that case, it's like it's open, so you're committed yeah. to it, so you're going to drink it. But they yeah. were <laughs> saying, in some of the reports I was reading, it was saying like. The cans are usually normal can sizes, so it's in more serving size mm. packaging. Yeah, so yeah. instead of buying, which could be seen as a positive and a negative, and a I slab, a slab of champagne. Oh god! But yeah, like <laughs> being able to crack open one for yourself. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Hand them out. Imagine on the um on the podium in the F one. And they just crack open the cans. Do you can it into a glass? (laughs) (laughs) It's not impossible. Well, I look forward to the day, Max, where I can get you a slab of Moe cans. (laughs) Thank you. You tune into No Idea. You can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) The Science Show with me, Max, Izzy, Peter. What do you got for us, Gabe? Uh, I've got for you uh, science from a source I've never pulled from before. Like, I think we, we collect science stories every week from a, a bunch of different places. I got I one. listen to the ether mm. and it speaks to me. <laughs> speaks the science. Mm. I get it off my me. iPad. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Pick up a shell from the beach and I listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I pretty much did that. I, I pi- picked up Instagram and I saw Aquaman's feed and he had a story there. Wasn't that a terrible how horrible film? Jason Momoa. Jason mm. Momoa. Pride of Gypsies, I think his name is on Instagram. Sorry, what? That's, yeah, that's what his, Instagram his handle. And so he... Starmon, what? He had a, a story... He had something he was resharing about. Hundreds of thousands of plastic fragments in bottled water from plastic water bottles. And I was like, okay, well, that's a bit weird. So I looked into it and it's based in something. It there is. was an actual study that came out this week about tiny pieces of plastic being in the water we drink from bottled water um you may have seen a whole bunch of of headlines out there about what it was so i thought we'd dive into the facts and see what's actually going on here and how likely it is and how bad it is that you're sculling potential potentially hundreds of thousands of plastic fragments in bottled water gotta get your credit card a week it started exactly which apparently is not true the credit card a week of plastic that we consume like a maximum (gasps) or something anyway that's a story for a different time because this one this story started six years ago which say six years ago for 2018 what's up with that yeah Yeah, i don't like that time is weird you squished in I'm still five. (laughs) 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 It found that the 325 particles of plastic per litre was the average for plastic bottled waters. We're talking US here typically for these papers. Mm. Uh, But commercially available bottled water, 325 uh, particles of plastic per litre is what they found. Uh, I'll tell you what the size is in a sec, but just remember that for now. 2018, first study, 325 plastic particles per litre of bottled water. Wasn't the same across all bottles, though. 7% of bottles had none. 
Uh, and the other 93% range from, you know, like one or thereabouts, all the way up to 10,000 plastic fragments per litre of bottled water. Now for the sizes, that study in 2018 was looking at what we call microplastics, which are five millimetres at their biggest, down to one micrometre at their smallest. This study for the 320, what was it? I was told to you, remember, 325 particles yeah. per litre. Went from five millimeters down to 6.5 micrometers, so just above the base of what we'd call microplastics. Uh, and, and just for context, a micrometer is one millionth of a meter. So these plastics, this early study was looking at, we're looking at pr- uh, microplastics or p- fragments of plastic from five millimeters in width down to 0.0065 millimeters at their smallest. That's what we call microplastics. Some other studies have followed in the last few years. They've found slightly high numbers. They've gotten into the thousands, maybe the tens of thousands, and looked down to the base of microplastics, so one micrometer. But that's where it stopped. So that 0.001 millimeter is what we've been going down to for these studies on bottled water. And they have been finding pretty consistently thousands to tens of thousands of fragments of plastic in that micrometer range which is small, uh, but this latest study, what they've done is beat that by a lot by building on a hunch that if they looked for smaller bits of plastic, they'd find even more of them like just from the basic mm. logic. Yeah, by the basic logic of if big things break down, they become smaller and there's lots of them, mm. right? So yeah, this is, is the theory. This is what they went mm. out to test. Yes, uh, we all understand <laughs> it. <laughs> micro, so they looked at microplastics, which are the five millimeters down to one micrometer, which is one millionth of a meter. This time they were looking at nanoplastics as well, which are one, we're talking billionths of a meter of width of these plastics, which is absolutely minuscule, um, but something that previous methods couldn't count. You might be able to get like a bulk of how many nanoparticles there are, but you don't know how many numbers, like you just may may get a rough weight. You can't count them. You can't count individual ones and you can't say what's plastic and what's not plastic. Oh. Yeah, yeah, so that's you just get part. So, so it wasn't useful before, but they these researchers have applied a new technique called Raman sampling, which in, oh, unfortunately involves like really do. no noodles and no boiled eggs. It involves a te- technique called oh, uh, involves probing samples with two simultaneous lasers that are turned to make specific molecules resonate. In effect, they then apply a data-driven algorithm to interpret the results, and what they get is the count of nanoparticles and they can tune it on certain shapes so they get a very solid idea of which ones are plastic so they've actually got nanoplastic counts i'm gonna be kind of honest i really tuned out when you, as soon as you said ramen but i'm trusting you that it works yeah mm-hmm. yeah they've got a count yeah. of nanoplastic particles in bottled water now so they went all the way down to 100 nanometers which is 0.0001 millimeters in width for these tiny little pieces of plastic. Oh, yeah. uh, remember, the previous research has gone thousands, hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands. This time, with all of those nanoplastics accounted for, they found between 110,000 and 370,000 plastic particles per litre of bottled water mm. in across three <laughs> what they call popular brands available mm. in normal oh, stores I in guess. the US. They didn't say which ones. They nice. specifically have been declining yeah. to mention the which litigation. brands they looked yeah. at. I wonder why. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wonder who owns them. <laughs> it <laughs> might be red. <laughs> there were a bunch of different types of plastic that they found in there. One of the common ones was PET plastic, um, but there were others as well, including one type of plastic uh, called polyamide, uh, which is a type of nylon, which according to one of the researchers, ironically probably comes from 
plastic filters used to clean water Stop it. Stop it. And then there's a bunch of other types of plastic as well. Polystyrene uh, as well as a couple of others. Hmm. Yeah. Um, So it's a bit of a disturbing thought. Um, They say that also there was also this big like dark matter of nanoparticles that the, the plastic only accounted for like 10% of the nanoparticles they found. There was all this other stuff as well. Oh. They're like, don't know what this is. Not the plastics we were looking for. Hundreds of thousands of those things yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, in terms of what this means though, drinking, because they basically did confirm that in popular brands in the US, you can grab a plastic bottle of water from mm. a normal supermarket and they're, can be up to several hundred thousand yeah, particles of plastic within yeah. that, right? Yeah, what's the yeah. volume on that, though? Uh, so the, the, what, the, the sad thing is, like, we don't actually know what this... We have no hard evidence that shows what this would actually mean for your health mm-hmm. impacts mm-hmm. because it's some of the first times that these numbers have ever been quantified. So this is the first step. You actually have to get the quantified of what people are getting exposed to. Now they, the next step is going and testing those quantities as well as above and below that mm-hmm. to see if there's health Pumping impacts. Pumping a bunch of plastic in, into people. You know, you do it in lab based. Well, <laughs> right. probably start in the lab. You do it on, on individual cell cultures. Phase three trials. You, do it, on, you yeah. do it on mice and then yeah. eventually you... you tr- Target max with the Facebook ads <laughs> right. saying, hey, eat that credit And so, but but what I can say is there is um, there is evidence that the, the microplastics and nanoplastics can be harmful. There was a paper that came out last month, um, and their their summary of the results that they found, looking at a bit of a review of, of impacts uh, across not just humans, other animals as well, but potential impacts on humans, um, was exposure to these sort of plastics, micro and nanoplastics can lead to health effects through oxidative stress, inflation, immune dysfunction, altered biochemical and energy metabolism, impaired cell proliferation, disrupted microbial metabolic pathways, abnormal organ development and carcinogenicity. There it is. Cancer. So close. Uh, So, yeah, there is potential for really bad impacts. We just don't know what this level you're exposed to in bottled water would mean. Um, But we do know what the researchers have been saying is that these nanoplastics are ones that we do know can pass through cell barriers, Mm. so cell membranes in humans Mm. and get into bloodstreams and get into cells from there. So there is potential for these much smaller plastics to actually get Mm. into more areas. What damage they might do when they get there is the unknown bit. Um, What Mm. I will give you is some advice that came from a a write-up in the conversation early last year from some some experts, including some toxicologists, for how Mm. to minimize your microplastic and nanoplastic intakes. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. Uh, you know you're morphing uh, the show into Eco Radio, by the way, by, by <laughs> discussing this. It's the grand plan, Max. <laughs> the grand plan. Ten to one on a Wednesday morning, microplastic hour, three hours. <laughs> the, what they say is um, to limit it day to day is, and particularly do, doing this if you're in a vulnerable group, which is they identified pregnant people, mm. uh, babies, and kids. Um, Anything so that's growing is important. Exactly. Anyone who's got hormones, so that's yeah, where pregnant, the issue is. Exactly. Yeah, uh, uh, but also just because when you've got a baby on board or a newly born baby or a small kid, the levels they're getting in the water are more intense than for someone who's physically larger than that because mm. they've got they're taking in the same amount of plastic per liter yeah. in a smaller yeah, body. Right. So, so yeah, you get yeah, more yeah. Per, per bit of body yeah. you have, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so what they say is eat less processed products and raw products that are plastic packaged, which includes things like cardboard cups and pizza boxes that can still have some plastic in them. Yeah. Try to avoid storing, cooking, reheating, especially microwaving 
inside plastic containers, particularly things like the cheap takeout plastic mm. containers. Try that. There's been a fair bit of advice I've seen recently of mm. let's keep those out of microwaves um, because the heat can contribute to plastics breaking down, smaller bits thing can get into your food and drink and from there can get into you. Sure. Um, and they say, don't get complacent in relying on alternatives that market themselves as being mm -hmm. safe from these things. They say the bio, things like bioplastics uh, just haven't had the research done on them to see if they are actually any better or than the regulation. Or re mm -hmm. regulation to see, to, to pr sort of guarantee that they're any better than having or yeah. safe compared to regular plastic. So that's their advice. Um, and, and based on this research, it is it does seem to be true that Bottled water, at least from popular brands in the States, has up to several hundred thousand tiny particles of plastic in it per litre. And it's something we probably should be avoiding until we know some more yeah. solid stuff Get a from reusable what bottle. it does for Aluminium. Us. Yeah, oh. so aluminium's good. Have an aluminium bottle. Oh, yep, plenty good. of really popular ones. There's a lot on... Have, has anyone seen Water Bottle Talk on TikTok? Yes. Deep lore in Water Bottle Talk about which water bottles are better and worse and stuff. Here's my recommendation. Anything that's aluminium. Yep. You're tuning to 4ZZZ and the show is No Idea with me, Max, Izzy, Peter and Gabe. No Idea Space News. Ingenuity. Ingenuity. It has flown 70 flights and possibly 71, which was planned for January 6th, but we haven't been informed yet. Izzy, unfortunately, yep. 69 seems so long ago now. I know. Yeah. Damn. So, Peter, yeah. you've gone for 88. We had to I reset have. the predictions. So, I went for 100. Gabe went for 120. We've given you a whole week to decide on what number is he. Yeah, you've had your extension. Yeah. Had, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, Do gonna, you have a number or we come go, back to that? No, we're going to go 111, that 111. Yeah. We'll see, how, we'll see how we go. That's Beautiful. a fun number. That is a fun yeah, number. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Very Chinese of you. Okay. United Launch Alliance Thanks. or ULA. Yeah, there's something big about the three ones. I don't know. What mm. is, yeah. their, their newest two-stage rocket, Vulcan Centaur, has performed perfectly. It placed its lunar lander payload in a perfect orbit to reach the moon. So congratulations to ULA for a flawless uh, debut. However, the same cannot be said. For the lunar lander, which is called mm. Peregrine, poor Peregrine, it's built by Astrobotics. Initially, the craft was unable to rotate its solar panels towards the sun. So clearly, there was a problem there. The battery was running pretty low, but they did manage to rotate it enough so the solar pa uh, panels are pointing towards the sun now, so the battery is getting recharged. Unfortunately, all of its hydrogen is getting leaked out. Its propellant is, is disappearing fast from a leak. So any chances of Peregrine actually making it as a soft landing on the moon have been ruled out maybe no. it'll just end up in lunar orbit another vikram another vikram well it could be well, if they smash I it into the, the moon they may third i think i read it's the third time a commercial company has tried and failed to get really to the moon. yeah this one had a whole bunch of like presidential ashes and like mm. arthur yeah. c clark dna yeah. and stuff so on it gross. as well yeah. it was sending up as paid payloads to the to get to the moon mm. and yeah well, it's weird they, they haven't really clarified specifically what's going wrong but they they do say they're burning up more fuel than they're supposed to i saw mm. some mention that it could be related to it's not holding its um trajectory as it's supposed to be so it's kind of having to overcorrect all the time yeah they use more than fuel. they thought yeah true yeah uh but all seems to show you know to get to the moon you have mm. to sort of flip the lander around and then fire some blast the other direction as it comes in at a breakneck pace I and slow it down. Say something like mm. uh, inspirational. <laughs> to no. get to the moon, you have to shoot for the stars. No. <laughs> well, they did that. 
<laughs> and they will get to the moon, but they won't land on it. Mm. They will miss it, probably. Oh. Not even crash into it. Uh, yeah, So, and they just don't have enough fuel. They just know they're not going to be able to do that. But a worthy attempt, and they're, you know, they're saying they're going to collect as much data as they can in the meantime. Mm. And um, NASA's looking ahead at the, the, the next, next one. one. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> the, uh, Jesus, sacrificial robots. As tradition with the space news, we have to uh, play this before we talk about any X-planes. What happened to the X-37A? Well... Mm. Mm. We don't talk about that? Mm. Asking a big question. <laughs> yeah, there's just a red dot on my head. As I <laughs> 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 uh, that, of course, was alluding to the X-37B, which is a spy space plane that recently got sent up. We don't know we where. We know nothing about, about it. it. <laughs> we know, yeah, and that's it. Yeah. And we're not talking about it either because we value our lives. Well, yep. there's, there's another X-plane that's been built called the X-59. And this is the plane that they want to fly supersonic, but without the egregious sonic boom. Hmm. It will start test flights this weekend to see if this is possible. And eventually one day we'll have supersonic sp- uh, space travel uh, flight flights again hopefully like the concord days but without the sonic boom and there's another x-plane we should be looking out for later this year called the x-65 it will serve as a technology demonstrator for airflow active flow control which is afc actuators as a primary means of flight control this will break the century-old design paradigm for flight control that has relied on external control services bolted on bolted onto the wings and the rudder and all that sort of stuff. They're just going to use air, jets of air, to manipulate airflow over the aircraft surfaces that the designers hope to eventually do away with the flaps and rudders. Interesting. I wonder when Iron Man's going to (laughs) take... Is that that what we're thinking? We're thinking... That's what I'm thinking. (laughs) I don't know if anyone else is thinking of it. He uses jets and maybe he should be using air. Hmm. Exactly. And that is it for the space news this week. You might have to sign us out, Gabe, because uh, we're, we're, we're running out of this week. Yeah. So this time, we thanks for tuning in. Yeah, uh, can, can I just talk to the show? Yeah. yeah. We got a text in from Nematron. Nematron. Hey, guys, oh. may the force be with you. I heard the moon was oh. part of Earth initially, and that's where the moon got its magnetic field in that. Is that true? Kind of. So it's it, 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 it sort of, yeah, to be, yeah, kind of. It was one big mass and then another big mass ran into it and the mass that ran into it plus earth sort of came together to make the moon because nice. it all sort of boiled together so yeah mainly earth big plus impact. a little bit of other stuff it was it's huge a big impact over four billion years ago over four it's billion the, years it's ago, the yeah. current thinking i yeah. thought it was 4.3 something like that and earth is 4.6 billion years yeah. old so yeah there's some truth to that i don't know about the magnet stuff yeah but um we should probably shuffle off the airwaves max we should because if you want to listen back to the show it's on au, or you can find it as a podcast on whatever a podcasting platform you look for, look in at search for no idea with a k four triple z and you find us there cut it with all the music cut out if you want the, with the music you can find it on four triple z.org.au thank you peter thank you max thank you izzy for for joining me for the last two hours talking science we'll be back again next week 10 to 12 on your wednesday morning talking some more science on four triple z and that's it all we got Woo! time for and we'll speak to you next week see you later I'm a goddamn marvel of modern science. science. science.